All right, good evening, everybody. Tonight, if you'll turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 13, that's where we'll be tonight, Acts 13. And we'll pray here. Lord, we thank you for the time we're able to sing to you, to minister to you, as we'll learn about that tonight. Ministering to you is our primary purpose. And in the process of ministering to you, we end up ministering to other people. And so we pray that you'd help us understand this chapter, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher and our guide and lead us into all truth. Help us to truly get it into our hearts and to see what's happening here with Paul, with Barnabas, and even with John Mark and um, the struggles that they're going to go through here. In Jesus' name, amen. Saul and Barnabas, uh, Saul gets his name changed to Paul, so we'll toggle between those two names several times. But Paul is who we're talking about. They're uh, in Antioch, and um, things are going well. Herod ex- exploded last week with worms uh, from uh, blaspheming God and taking glory unto himself and not giving the credit where credit is due for who he is and for his creation and all. And God wouldn't let that stand. And you'll see a lot of that um, in Scripture. We don't talk a lot about that in church, but there's a lot of that in Scripture. You're going to see that again here tonight in chapter 13, that God steps in every once in a while and supernaturally touches people. And sometimes it's not always for the, for the better. Just to let everybody know who, who's here, you know, who's in the room, who's listening, who's watching. I think that's important for us to learn as we go through this book of Acts. Luke is writing this, explaining the acts of the Holy Spirit, working through people. That's all this book is about. Luke wants to make sure that along with his gospel, this Luke part two explains how the church was formed, how the Holy Spirit entered the church and began to move through the church and use the church to bring about the gospel of Jesus Christ to the whole world. So far, the Holy Spirit, uh, Luke has showed us what the Holy Spirit's been doing by saving people. We know that the Holy Spirit gives Peter the ability to preach and to share the gospel and thousands of people get saved when he's filled with the Spirit. We see the giftings of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit coming upon people and giving them certain gifts and abilities that they don't normally have naturally. That's important. We have natural gifts. I think some people are naturally more athletic than other people or naturally gifted in certain areas, and we say those are giftings from God, but these are, these are different that we're reading about here. The Holy Spirit here giving people the ability to do things. You know, you think about Samson. That's a great example of probably a work of the Holy Spirit in someone's life. You do know that every time Samson did something, everybody looked and said, how is he doing this? Our coloring pages are wrong. He didn't look like Arnold Schwarzenegger, okay? He was a skinny little runt of a guy. He's got to be. That's why everybody looked at him and says, how is he beating everybody? How does he do that? Because it's by the power of God. Nobody was looking at him saying, well, it's his muscles, it's his workout regimen, it's his, it's his pre-workout, it's his post-workout, you know, uh, it's his amino, amino acids or whatever, you know. It's, nobody was even thinking about the physical. They're looking at this skinny little person saying, how are you doing this? And finally, when it came to the hair, we're like, oh, that is kind of weird that he's got really, really long hair. And they figured it out. The giftings of the Holy Spirit, when God comes upon somebody, and gives them ability beyond their natural abilities, everybody looks and says, how can this be? They'll look at you, they'll look at me and say, how can this be? You know, no offense, you know, that's how usually it starts. <laughs> no offense, but how in the world are you doing this? Well, it's God. It's got to be the Lord. And that way he gets all the credit. He gets all the glory. The person who's in a position to not do the things of God. They're surprised by the fact that God's using them. They're stunned. They're astonished that they're in a position that they're in, finding themselves in front of people or, or doing things or whatever. And they're, they're not saying it's about time everybody noticed how great I was. They're astonished that they're even in that position. And that's what the Holy Spirit's been doing. And that's what Luke is documenting. Luke is a physician, and he rarely gets the chance to use his learned gift. Because he's watching the Holy Spirit. I mean, he's watching Paul's apron get passed around healing people. And he's like, I don't even know why I went to school, you know, and studied. So Luke is documenting these acts of the Holy Spirit. Now, tonight we're going to see the sending. The Holy Spirit sending out people into ministry and how it works and what it looks like. 
It's very different from what we've learned in our worldly system of religion right now. Worldly Christianity, secular Christianity, I call it, uh, fleshy Christianity is not is not how the book of Acts shows ministry starting or someone being called into the ministry. It isn't a da-da-da-da-da-da-da. We kind of think that way. Steps, levels, you know, a ladder of some kind. Uh, you know, we put flowers on it, but nonetheless, it's still a ladder like the world has. How do I get to be CEO? Well, first, you got to start in the mail room, you know, kind of thing. And they think of Christianity in the same way. That's not, that's not the case. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. There are many, many people that we're not hearing about, that we're not reading about, that Luke doesn't document, that the Bible doesn't follow. We only follow a few people here, you know. And Luke picks on Paul and Barnabas here and makes this next step as he's trying to complete the thought of the gospel of Luke, as he's trying to take his friend Theophilus through this understanding of Christianity that this is the next step. The Holy Spirit came upon these guys in the upper room. Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, able to teach. People were getting saved by the power of the Holy Spirit. They were laying hands on people. The Holy Spirit would come upon them, and gifts would happen. And then 13, in verse 1, Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. These are giftings of the Holy Spirit. You can't just be a prophet. You don't get to choose to be a teacher. These have to be gifts of the Holy Spirit. Barnabas... Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius the Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, Paul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said audibly, not a feeling, not a tingling. They heard him audibly say, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. In the middle of crisis, I mean, the church is being persecuted like, you know, unbelievably. That's why they're spreading out. That's why they are where they are. The gospel is spreading. Things are happening. The church is growing geometrically. These guys stop and pause and sit with the Lord and fast and they minister to the Lord. That always has to be our base. If we stop ministering to the Lord, then we lose and we cut off from ourselves the source by which we can minister to other people. We've got to minister to the Lord. We have to. And it's from that drawing and and sucking power and spending time with the Lord that is allowing us by the Holy Spirit, because I tell you, you can cut yourself off from the source and go for a little bit longer and not even notice but you will eventually die. You'll burn out in ministry. It always happens. Once they get cut off, that always happens. I've never seen anybody continue on with ministry once they've cut themselves off from ministering to the Lord. These guys take the time to do this. We had a mulberry tree in the back of our yard. I was thinking about that when I was looking at this. And um, when we first moved into that 816 South Market, lived there for 20 years, and uh, had this huge, beautiful mulberry tree. In fact, that's probably what sold it because they had a swing hanging from it and the kids were swinging on it. And, and we we're like, this is just, it's home. It's just, you know, wow, you know, could feel the Lord, you know, or whatever. I don't know what we thought, but we bought it. And then a big storm came and knocked the tree down, down. Like there was just one little twig left sticking up over here, I think. And then most of it fell down. And I think it was this big around that was laying in our yard. You know how big they can get. Just this beautiful old tree. Now it's, you know, you know, laying there. And who has the money at that stage in life to have someone spend, you know, here, here's $4,000. Could you cut this gigantic tree up for me? Because they don't make a saw big enough for this thing. You know, I'm, I'm kidding that. Of course they do, but can't afford that either. So we let it sit there. Now this thing is uprooted. I mean, it's gone. It's broken. It's just laying there. Sure enough, in spring, four to five feet of growth on this thing. And I kept telling it, you're dead. You know, I mean, you're dead. And it just kept, just grew right up, straight up, water growth, just comes straight up, twigs and all. And if you didn't know better, you'd think, well, maybe there's hope for this, you know? (laughs) There's no hope. It's just a matter of time before all the nutrients in it are used up to grow all this new growth, and pretty soon it figures out, no, I'm dead, you know, and it dies. 
There's a lot of Christians that try to walk like that. There's a lot of churches that try to walk like that. I witnessed it. I've watched it. You can see it coming. They don't know it. But you're like, you're dead. You're cut off. I mean, you look like you're alive, but I know that you're uprooted. I know that you've cut yourself off from the one that gives you the source of life. I know that you have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. I know that. But the programs are still functioning and people are still attending and the people in the crowd are slowly not noticing what's happening. And their eyes closed too. You've got to be ministering to the Lord. He has to be the most important part of your walk so that you can minister to other people. Maintain that. So they do. They take the time to do that and they're with the Lord and they're fasting and they're praying and they're spending time with him and the Holy Spirit steps in and says, I want you to send out Barnabas and Saul. The Holy Spirit calls him Saul. I better call him Saul. For the work to which I have called them. That's another good just side note. The Holy Spirit feels like he's God too, just in case we forgot that. He is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit says, I've set apart Saul and Barnabas for the work that I've called them to. So he does have authority, okay? So this Holy Spirit isn't a force. It isn't a thing. It isn't an essence, as some try to put it. There's God the Father, God the Son, and then there's this weird glow over here, and we don't know what he is or it is over there. And we use the word it often. It's the person and work of the Holy Spirit. This whole book is the Holy Spirit and what he does with his church. So set them apart. I want to do this. And so after they fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and they sent them away. Absolutely. We, we don't have any choice. And I think we need, please, I'm pausing for effect here. Please hear this. The guys who heard the audible voice don't have a choice. They must send these guys out. God said so. Also, they couldn't send them out until they heard that voice. It's not up to them. It's never up to that person. The Holy Spirit is the one who ordains. The Holy Spirit is the one who calls and equips and does the work through that person. It cannot be a ladder. It is not a ladder. When you do a pastor search committee and you're looking for someone to fill a pulpit because your pastor left you high and dry in your church, And the people there are praying and asking and seeking the Lord, and pretty soon they just call for resumes. They start looking at the resumes, and they try to see who's more qualified. Can you imagine if any of the churches looking for pastors today found Paul's resume sitting on their desk? (laughs) Well, at first I used to kill people in the church, hated them, put them in prison, killed them, but I grew, you know. (laughs) Oh, I don't think so. Not a candidate. It's funny, so many of these churches that are dying in these small towns, their senior pastor's probably right there on site and they don't even see him. He's the guy who mows the lawn. He's the guy who opens the door, makes sure the lights are on, makes sure that the place is clean. He's doing everything. He's taking care of the sheep. He just isn't teaching necessarily. But he's right there in front of their eyes. But that's, that's Bob. I mean, Bob's always been here. That's just Bob. I don't think Bob can teach. I don't think Bob's qualified. I don't think Bob has a degree. I don't think Bob graduated from high school. I don't think Bob, and for all the reasons in the world, they walk right past the very person that God's placed in their life that actually loves them and cares for them and loves God and does it for God and hasn't burned out in 37 years. You know, hello. He's right there in front of them. But we get that mindset But if we just pray and fast and seek the Lord and wait and not be in a hurry. If he doesn't answer, he doesn't answer. We have to accept no. This is for all of us. This isn't just for ministry necessarily, but this is for leading in our lives. To wait on the Lord and wait for the Holy Spirit to tell you, when I graduate from high school, what should I do, Lord? If I graduate from high school, some of you. What should I do? It isn't automatic. Shouldn't be automatic anyway. Supposed to pray our way through this stuff. Supposed to let the Holy Spirit lead and guide us. 
Should I send my kids to public school? Probably should have been the first prayer. Or do you want me to homeschool? <laughs> and to wait for the Lord to answer and to let him speak. I'm not saying this, you know, academic. We've lived it. We've gone through these things, Jenny and I. We've set our hearts that way. And sometimes I got ahead of God and did things on my own, didn't pray things through. I mean, everybody does that. And those didn't work out so well. But I'm willing to admit it. That didn't work out so well, and I knew it was me, and own it, you know. It was not the Lord. But God speaks, and when he speaks, it's loud. And when he speaks, it's sure. I think that's the most important thing. It's sure. Some of the scriptures I have here, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 21 through 22. Paul is writing to this young pastor, Timothy. He says, I charge you before God and the Lord, Jesus Christ, and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. That can go both ways, partiality. We always think of it as, well, it's the rich guy or whatever. No, it can also be the poor guy that just is always begging. Do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sin. Keep, yourselves, keep yourself pure. Now, it's not just for Timothy. He's going to go on here in Timothy chapter 3, or actually back before then, to explain what that means. But don't lay hands on anyone hastily. Take your time. These guys are taking their time. It's in the midst, midst of a huge church growth, an amazing moment, you know. What difference does it make? We just need bodies right now at this point. No. Because you do tremendous damage if you don't let the Holy Spirit pick and choose. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, this is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop or an overseer of a church... He desires a good work. An overseer then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, but one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Because truly it is a house full of people that need to be cared for. Verse 6 is important. Not a novice. And here's why. Not because he's going to ruin the church. Not because he's going to hurt people, although that will be the case. It's for that person. Lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. I will make myself like the Most High. It's a very dangerous thing. We don't think about it that way. I've prayed how detailed I should get about this, and I never know. I never know. Gone through it three times now. Gone through this three times as a pastor. 20 years of ministry. I've got two people that I think would be excellent senior pastors, and they don't want it. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> and I got three, or had three anyway, that thought I was taking too much time. Too slow. Not hearing from God. Two absolutely destroyed their families. Done. Gone. And it's, it's heartbreaking. Because I, first of all, I tried to tell them, I'm not the gate. I'm not the gate. You want to go do it? Go do whatever you want to do. But if you're waiting for me to hear from the Holy Spirit, then wait for me to hear from the Holy Spirit. If you don't think I'm hearing from the Holy Spirit, why are you still at this church? Why are you waiting for someone who doesn't hear from the Lord? Why are you still standing there? You know, then, then go. Go do your thing. Well, they went. And that didn't end well at all. Neither of them attend our church anymore. Neither of them are pastors anymore of the churches that they were set over or thought they should start. And that's two of the three. It isn't about who's good enough. It's not about who can. It's about have we heard from the Holy Spirit or not? 
There's no ladder to climb. There is no uh, pedigree. It's just, it's when the Holy Spirit speaks, and that's when we run. We run for it. I went through that for this fellowship. I waited. I had a burning desire in my heart to be an overseer of a church. I wanted it so bad. I could taste it. Jenny could tell you. I would spend every moment I could at the church and spend all my time there. And you go through seasons in those waiting periods and that time period where you're like, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. You go through it. And it's so amazing that I didn't get sent out when I thought I should be sent out because I needed to go through those seasons or I wouldn't be stable today. I wouldn't be standing here 20 years later. We've been at this church 20 years of a, stories like you wouldn't believe, you know, because I wasn't ready when I thought I was ready. And we waited And I waited until finally the Holy Spirit truly fell and moved and spoke at a conference. And the Holy Spirit, through prophecy, spoke through our guest speaker. And the guest speaker said, I think that's for JD. I'm in the back at the time saying, God, please, I want to go. Can I go? Still begging. You know, I just constantly beg for about eight years. Please, God. And I was in the back begging. And my pastor said, come up here, J.D. What? That was it. It was a true work of the Holy Spirit. And I waited and I waited and I waited. I've never looked back and been so thankful because I can never, ever say, I did it. I made it. I climbed the ladder. I attained. I got my whatever. And they finally recognized. It was like, I was as shocked as everybody else in the room. I was so happy. And then it's like, getting the keys to a Rolls Royce, you know? Oh, oh God. And you're going like five miles an hour, you know, like a new driver. Remember teaching my kids how to drive. It's exactly the same way with ministry. It's like, I am not scratching this car. You can go a little faster. Speed limit's 35. Five's fine. You know, five's fine. It's a holy thing. It's an important thing to wait on the Holy Spirit in our lives to wait for that voice, to hear him speak, to give him you direction, to equip you for that, to let you go through everything you need to go through so that when you do get that call, he's prepared you. Trust the process we talked about on Sunday. You know, trust. Let God do his work that he needs to do. Well, here's what happens with these guys. So being sent out, by the Holy Spirit, Luke wants to make sure we understood that, they went down Seleucia, to Seleucia, excuse me, and from there they sailed to Cyprus, and when they arrived at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. Please underline this. They also had John as their assistant. Why is John there? Does anybody ask that question? Who did the Holy Spirit say was the ones to be set apart for this work? Just those two. And unfortunately, John is going to get hit so hard spiritually that he leaves the ministry because he's not the one who's called to do this. He shouldn't be here. He should have been sent home right there after verse 3. John, I'm sorry, the Holy Spirit didn't call you. You're going to go home. But they brought him along anyway. Was there any conversation between these two? Maybe there was. I don't know. Maybe Paul's like, uh, why are you coming, John? You know? And Barnabas is like, come on. I mean, we, he came this far. He can come with us. I don't know. The Holy Spirit said he wasn't supposed to be here. I mean, okay. But he's our assistant. He's like actually in the ministry. He's just come alongside. I know, but I'm just saying the Holy Spirit didn't say. We were kind of, you know, you know, all right. You know, maybe Paul's like, I don't know, you're the guy that went and found me, brought me into the ministry, Barnabas. Maybe you know more than I do. Sure, I got, okay, go ahead. So here comes John Mark alongside. Luke makes a note of that on purpose. I mean, I don't want to read in between the lines too much, but Luke makes note of that. John Mark was their assistant, even though you would think, 
I mean, he has to say that because everybody reading should understand, well, then those are the only two that went in the ministry. He goes, no, no, John Mark went with them. He was their assistant, you know? John's going to get hammered here. He was not mentioned by the Holy Spirit. Now, when they had gone through the island of, uh, uh, I'm sorry, gone through the island to um, Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. He's no idiot. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, that's the name of that Bar-Jesus guy, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So he's that guy whispering in the proconsul's ear, don't listen to them. They don't know about the Lord. You know, they're, and, 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 and Paul and Barnabas are trying to tell this guy about Jesus, give him the gospel, and there's this Elimus, you know, I'm the sorcerer. You know, I, I got him all in black, you know, kind of creepy looking with long bony fingers and stuff. Let's just put him in that category anyway. Now look. Then Saul, who's also called Paul, I think that's interesting, Luke switches gears, filled with the Holy Spirit, and every time something crazy is going to happen, Luke says, he was filled with the Spirit, watch, fireworks, looked intently at him, Elimus, and said, O full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you should be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. That's some heavy stuff, man. Now, Paul and Barnabas are there, and Paul's stirred up by the Holy Spirit. You, you, and Barnabas is going, yeah, you know, yeah. And old John Mark's in the back going, what is happening? Some creepy sorcerer guy, and you guys are making him blind, and he is blind. What is happening? He's not able to handle it. He can't handle it. It's too much for him. Then the proconsul believed, I mean, if you got a choice between two guys, I'm going to take the guy that didn't get blinded, you know, by the other guy. I'm going to follow their advice. He believed, and when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord, astonished at the word of God, not just at the blindness, not just at the craziness that just happened or the words coming out of Paul's mouth towards this Elimus, but the word of God just astonished him. That's going to happen a couple times here with the Gentiles. They're amazed at it. They're just, and they beg for the gospel to be preached again. Amazing. The gospel of Jesus Christ is amazing to those who want to hear it. They beg to hear more about it when it touches their heart. Others, eh, you know, that's a pretty good sermon. It's a little long. There's nothing you can do about that. I'm just warning you ahead of time, if you ever want to teach the Bible, there's nothing you can do about that. You worry about the people or you not worry. You focus on the people that are like, I'm full of tears. I'm full. I'm absolutely overblown. I got to have more. What else can I read? Give me something else to read. Tell me something more. When's the next Bible study? I got to have God. I got to have more of Jesus. I got to have him. And they're just on fire for Jesus Christ. And other people, that's pretty good. I mean, yeah. It's a little long. I think I missed my, you know, Denny's or whatever. You can't do anything about that. Now, when Paul and his party had set sail from Pamphys, they came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John departed from them, returning to Jerusalem. That's very gracious of Luke to put it that way. And John didn't go with them anymore. Nothing happened between verses 3 and 13 except... Elimus and blindness and the Holy Spirit and the power and the boldness of Saul and ministry that this is not like handing out a track on the street. And John went home. Mm -mm, I can't do it. Now, I don't know what conversation Barnabas and Paul had at that time, but I imagine something was said. Did we really just read that Paul blinded somebody by the power of the Holy Spirit so that they, now it was just for a time, he didn't permanently blind them, but that's a big deal. 
to think about the power of the Holy Spirit. We talk about grace and mercy and love and, you know, peaches and cream Christianity kind of thing, but these are important stories. The Holy Spirit is dead set on, look, my voice is going to be heard. I'm going to save people. Another person who should not be in the way of what God is doing. We have relegated the Holy Spirit to the back seat of Christianity and think, just be quiet, you know. Oh, he won't be quiet. But John goes home. But when they departed from Perga, and they came to Antioch and Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down, just like normal. So they would go into these synagogues. They would sit down. They'd have the reading of the word of God. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue said to them, saying, men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. And that's very common. You know, small town, maybe a big town, medium-sized town. Hey, you guys are new. Where you guys come from? Jerusalem. Oh, really? That's great. You hear about this Jesus guy? We actually kind of know a little bit about Jesus, you know. Come up here. You want to share a little bit? Love to share. So they share. Come on up and share. And he tells them one of the most amazing sermons, which is very similar to Peter's first sermon, by the way, if you ever want to compare those two. Then Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he brought them out of it. Now for a time of 40 years, he put up with their ways in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land to them by allotment. Now everybody's going, yeah, yeah, that's the history. So he's giving them a sin- Talking about you guys here in the room. After that, he gave them judges for about 450 years until Samuel the prophet. And afterward, they asked for a king. So God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom he also... uh, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. From this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a savior, Jesus. Boom, there's the mic drop, you know. He's come, the Messiah's come. After John had first preached before his coming and baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, And as John was finishing uh, his course, he said, Who do you think I am? I am not he, but behold, there there comes one after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to loose. Men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to you the word of this salvation has been sent. For those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know him, nor even the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in the condemning of him. And though they found no cause for death in him, they asked Pilate that he should be put to death. Now, when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. He was seen for many days by those who came up from him, from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses to the people. And we declare to you glad tidings, good news. That promise which was made to the fathers, God has fulfilled. This for this uh, for us, their children, and that he has raised up Jesus, as it is also written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you, and that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken thus, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Therefore, he also said in another psalm, you will not allow your holy one to see corruption. Getting up to the, to the resurrection here. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and he saw corruption. But he whom God raised up saw no corruption. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what has been spoken in the prophets come upon you. Behold, you despisers, marvel and perish. For I work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe, though one were to declare it to you. So that's an interesting way to conclude your gospel messages. And by the way, you're all, you know, (laughs) 
Don't let this happen to you. If you don't believe what I just said to you, I am fulfilling that prophecy that I was going to declare this to you, and I'm doing it right now. Prophecy being fulfilled. If you reject it, that scripture's for you. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be uh, preached to them the next Sabbath. Will you guys stick around and give us another sermon? Would you do it again? Would you tell us more about this guy? The Jews weren't interested. They're like, mm, yeah, Jesus. They're not happy with what was just shared. But the Gentiles, man, that's amazing. Gentiles have no hope. They've always known that. There's an ache, there's a desire, there's an emptiness, there's a hole. And they keep showing up at synagogue. And all the Jews look at them like they're horrible people, but they come anyway because they want to get close to God. They have no place else to go. So they sit there, they are the downtrodden, they're the outcasts. And they sit there Sunday or Saturday after Saturday, listening to the Jews all talk about themselves and their history. And the Gentiles are like, how do I fit into this? How do I get in? How do I move in? All of a sudden, this guy, this guest speaker comes up and says, it's Jesus. He died for all men, for everybody, everywhere. The Gentiles are like, you know, it's for us. And they begged. And they shouldn't have to beg. I don't think they needed to beg. But that's how intense it was for them. And as someone who has received Christ as a born-again believer, and many of you know this and are born-again believers too, I don't understand the lack of passion. I don't understand the lack of begging among other believers. It's so commonplace. It's like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Today, I don't know, all day long, I had this, I don't know, you, you get moments like this. And it's like it, it, something's off spiritually. Just, I told Jenny, I said, I don't know what's wrong. Something's off. Something's off. I can't figure out what it is. So I'm just praying my way through the whole day. Everything was fine. I mean, nothing bad happened. I wasn't like depressed or sad or anything like that. It was no, no reason for it. I just felt, you just knew. You're just like, something is wrong. Something is off. So I just prayed all the way through that. That's normal for me. And then the next morning I get this sense, oh, I wonder if this is, I mean, this constant fellowship with the Holy Spirit, with God, and just walking this walk with the Lord, it's just so natural that I forget that many people don't, many Christians even, don't know what that's like or they don't experience it. They're like, no, I've never heard from God. I don't think I've ever felt like the Holy Spirit's moved me or guided me or led me. And now I think if you think hard enough and you pray about it a little bit, I think God would bring some things to your mind that maybe you overlooked or um, just put out of your mind because you thought it was a coincidence or something and you just haven't learned to recognize the Holy Spirit in your life and then to cultivate that and to listen more intently to that voice and not the other voices in your head. And yes, you all have many voices in your head. You're not crazy. We all do. But to discern your shepherd's voice and to learn the Holy Spirit and to be moved by it, moved by him. There I go again, saying exactly what we shouldn't say. These guys are begging for it. Now, how does the same message get taught to a whole group of people? And some beg and some are like, I don't know. I don't know why that is. I remember the first time I came back to uh, church, had went to Calvary out in California when I first got saved and then came back and went to Dana College and dropped out of that because that was a disaster waiting to happen there. And um, knew that wasn't where God wanted me. Didn't pray about it, just went and didn't understand. But learned and then made a course correction. That's all that was. It wasn't, didn't really quit. I just made a course correction. This is not where I need to be. And moved to Omaha and, and worked for my brother-in-law at Pella. And uh, Pella Windows there and was a service tech. And finally found a Calvary Chapel down there, you know, because we tried different churches. I remember Jenny and I went to different churches down in Omaha. I was like, you know every one of them, just none of them felt right. You get used to hearing the word of God week after week, chapter after chapter, and you show up for topicals and you're like, this is just not feeding me. It's nothing. There's nothing here. So we found Calvary Chapel and my dad was with me at the time and we went in and I'm in like the third row back and I'm just weeping. Third row from the front, I'm just start crying. And he's saying, if anybody wants to come up and get prayer, I'm like, (laughs) you know, and I'm a blubbering mess. And my dad's like, oh my God, you know. What is this? My son's had a breakdown or whatever. 
I was at home, first of all, but I just really felt like, oh my goodness, this is what I've been looking for. Again, I didn't realize it, you know. Just the word of God was taught, I was fed, I felt nourished, I was revived. It had been years, you know, and came forward and, you know, and even Steve, my pastor says, yeah, I didn't know if you were crazy or, or what, you know, because you don't know when people come up, I just love God. Yes, <laughs> sure you do, you know, kind of thing. Well, God knows, we'll pray for you. And he prayed for me and never stopped setting up chairs since. Haven't stopped setting up chairs. I still, I still change the chairs every time I walk by them, you know. Anyway, the point is, I became a beggar, just a beggar. I couldn't get enough. And haven't stopped. So, please come back and teach with us next Saturday. Please share more with us. I don't want it to stop. Now, when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. So they were touched. Not like these Gentiles, but they were touched. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. Now that's some on-fire people. We hear one message from this guest speaker, and they're like, it's amazing. You got to come. And they tell the entire city, you got to come to synagogue next Saturday. I haven't been to synagogue in years, you know, whatever. They're, yeah. I got stuff to go. You got to come. You got to come. And the whole city shows up. Now, that's a good thing. But as far as spiritual darkness goes, that is a red flag for them. And they come out swinging. We battle not against flesh and blood. And so anybody that can be stirred up by Satan is going to be stirred up by Satan. They see a dramatic loss of souls about to take place gaining to God, losing from Satan, and they are coming in full battle regalia here. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy. Why? How come somebody doesn't come listen to my teaching like that, you know? Envy. And contradicting and blaspheming, they opposed the things spoken by Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas is getting on board now, John Mark's gone, doesn't have to hold his hand anymore, grew bold and said, it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, but since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Now he's talking about a prophecy that they would know about, about the Messiah being for all men. Now, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life, believed. Beautiful moment, you know. You guys rejected? That's fine. We went to you first. We gave you a chance. You've decided you don't want everlasting life. Bush granted. We're going to go to the Gentiles. And Gentiles are like, we'll take it. All day long, we'll take it. And then here we have this beautiful sovereignty of God in that last part of um, verse 48, and as many as have been appointed to eternal life believe. A lot of people have a hard time with that and say, well, there it is. You don't have a choice. You know? God appointed him to life. And he appointed the rest to death. No, we missed the part of believed in that same sentence. They weren't forced to believe. They chose to believe. They were appointed, but the choice is still there. It's that sovereignty and free will mixed. It isn't this side and that side. It's both. And that is why no theologian has ever got a handle on it, nor is it ever going to be reconciled, because they keep picking sides. It's either he's sovereign or he's not. Well, it's either we have choice or we don't. Why can't we have both? Why can't God be completely sovereign, and within that sovereignty, we have free will? Well, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, we're finite dirt clods. God made us out of mud. I mean, you know, I think he can do it. I mean, he shows it over and over again, as many as who are willing. I mean, that's how the book of Revelation ends. Come, all of you who are thirsty, anybody that wants it, anybody can come. That'd be a flat-out lie from God if it wasn't possible. A flat-out lie. You make God a liar if you don't have choice. But you can't say that it doesn't have anything to do with him either. He chose. It clearly teaches that. It's okay. 
I had a college student sit right there, come up after a church service years ago, just sobbing. She was on fire, a part of uh, Campus Crusade for Christ before they stopped calling it Campus Crusade for Christ, started calling it Crew. I guess it was too offensive to say Crusade or something. Ministry's never been the same since, by the way. Campus Crusade for Christ, she was on fire. That group of people, remember those group of teenagers, they come over to her house, they were just crazy. All the kids are like, yeah, they were crazy. So fun, so on fire for God. That Campus Crusade for Christ was lit up, lit up on campus. Hundreds and hundreds of students would come every single, I could think it was Thursday was when it was. Hundreds, three, 400 people. Nothing like that. Nothing like that. Anyway, she ran into someone, read a book by, got this, absolutely paralyzed because of sovereignty. Thought, it's all for nothing. The most evangelical group on campus, the most prolific group on campus, one of the leaders had read some book by somebody who said, God's sovereign, some people are chosen for hell, some people are chosen for life, nothing we can do about it, it really doesn't make any difference. I mean, we go through the motions like we're puppets in a play, but really we have no say in the eternal outcome of anybody's soul. They're just either chosen or they're not. He made some vessels for honor, some for dishonor, it's the way it goes. And it absolutely crushed her. Froze her in her tracks, paralyzed her spiritually. On face value alone, before we get into any arguments, do you think that's of God that would paralyze somebody from evangelizing and telling people about Jesus Christ because they don't think it matters anymore what happens? We had a, a, a lady that wanted to start a school here. That didn't last long, not at our church, but she wanted to start it and um, wanted me to be the, what was I supposed to be? What do they call it? A, like a chaplain or something for the church or for the school or whatever. We're going to start this new school. We'd like you to be the chaplain. And all this. Okay, well, I got to know what you believe. What are we doing here? I mean, Christian means a lot these days. You got to fill me in on what it means to be a Christian. What do you think it means? And in the process of this conversation, she declared she was a certain, she was a tulip, five-point Calvinist. And on and I said, well, we're going to have a problem there. <laughs> I am not. Well, that's okay. You don't know. To... No, you don't understand. And as I begin to explain to her that I am adamantly opposed to that, I will not be a part of anybody that teaches that because, first of all, that girl just happened in our lives. And we will not teach kids that garbage. Absolutely not. No way. No how am I going to be a part of anybody telling them that my God does and doesn't, and there's nothing we can do about it. Absolutely no. And she was visibly shaken because we're having a nice quiet dinner between polite Christians, you know, but I'm like, no, I can't do it. It's just not, I just, I really, we are not going to be, we're on opposite sides of this for sure. Um, and she began to cry a little bit because you know, I'm so, you know, delicate when it comes to these things. Her husband was there. I wasn't like beating up on a woman or anything. It was just like, no, it's you, no, not going to do it. Um. But what she was crying about was she couldn't imagine because her son hadn't bought into it yet and he was so broken for the lost and would weep over the lost and that broke her heart that her son was weeping for the lost and he felt responsible to lead them to the Lord to share the gospel with them. And I'm like, do you not hear it? Do you not hear it? She didn't hear it at all. Honey, he is sovereign. I don't make any I bones about it. I know that we live in his world, his creation. We are there. He's controlling. He is in charge, large and in charge. No mistaking about it. He is sovereign. He is king. He is Lord. And yet our sovereign king and Lord has said, you can choose me or you can choose not to have me. And he's given that to everybody. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Not the world uh, of the chosen people. The world. He means it. So within that beautiful sovereignty, we have this beautiful picture of, but I want you to choose me because you love me, not because you have to or because I made you or because you're a robot or a puppet, but because you have free will. I've made you in my image. It's a big deal. So I love this verse and I embrace this verse. And as many as have been appointed unto eternal life believed. 
So important to understand that. To not let those things paralyze you or to keep you from sharing the gospel or to... It's for everybody. It brings joy for me to think of how controlled my God is and it also brings me joy to think he loved me enough to give me free will. Both bring me joy. Brings me closer to him. Makes me appreciate him more. Verse 49. And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. But the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city, raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and expelled them from the region. And when you don't know what to do, you, you, you get violent. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Luke says, they left a group of people full of joy and full of the Holy Spirit after they went, you know, I'm not even taking the dirt of your city with me. You kick me out, it's on you, you know. What a great picture. And then these people are behind saying, bye, don't worry, we got this, you know. The Holy Spirit's in us just like he's in you, and you can't stop this. You can't stop this. You can shoo everybody away, but you can't stop this. What a great end. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives, that you've blessed us and given him to us to lead and guide us into all truth, just like you promised that you'd send the helper, and and there he is. Help us to use the helper, to listen to the helper, to let the Holy Spirit speak to us and to pay attention, and to not be worried when he doesn't say anything, but to be ready to jump when he says jump. Help us to know what that means, to learn your voice, to understand your leading, and to live our lives that way. It's contrary to this world. It's contrary to the plans of this world. But uh, you were always like that. And so we shouldn't be surprised by this. So Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit afresh. And we don't just mean that like we say it every Sunday or every Wednesday. Lord, truly baptize us with your Holy Spirit. Fill us afresh to overflowing. Give us all the gifts necessary that we need to fulfill the ministry that you've called us to. Send us when you want to send us. Keep us when you want to keep us. For not just people, Lord, for ministries, Lord. Raise up ministries when you want to raise up and start something new. Set ministries down when you're done with them. Help us not to keep anything on life support and help us not to ever pump anything up to make it more than what it really is. We truly want a work of you, and we don't want to be a part of anything that's not of you. So you rule and reign, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer before you go, love to pray with you. Otherwise, have a good rest of the week.